0: Yo, welcome back again. Um, I just want to say thank you all for continuing to tap in with the boys, tap in with Scholar Chips. Um, it's been so much to us. I know we've been going on this for like for like a year or close to a year. And I just want to say thank you to the day ones, thank you to the new ones, thank you to anyone that's been like listening to us, literally anyone. Um, it means so much to us, the feedback you guys have been giving us, the repost, the, the sharing, everything is meant the world to us just because, you know, this started as an idea in our head and, you know, Larry's my best friend and we just continue to just follow through and continue to grow and continue to just try different things and just get your feedback and see like where we can go with this and this has been so collaborative and so uh, uplifting to hear y'all just continue to, you know, show us love. Now, I think that that's That's what we created the podcast for. We created it just for it to be more of a conversation with anyone that's listening. You know, something new, something fresh that's different. And yeah, like today's no different. Like today, you know, we're going to interview our good friend, Joseph Hobdy, who is the Director of Operations at Ascension Medical Group in Austin, uh, currently in Austin, Texas. Um, And it's in the medical field. It's something that, you know, I'm not hip to, Larry's not hip to. Um, There's a lot of things that we've learned um, from Joseph just during this conversation, but in general. Like, he's been, you know, a great friend since I met him. He's actually like a friend of a friend, but he's become like a brother of mine. Um, Hailing from, you know, Florida, he went to University of South Alabama, um, and he, he studied health administration. And I think, you know, for us as black young males, you forget all of the different avenues and different ways that, that we can get into the medical field and how, how important the medical field is to our society or to our culture. Um, I think this was a beautiful conversation. Just to talk about things that we're uncomfortable with, right? Like Joseph will hit on his upbringing. we will talk about what got him into the health administration field. He'll talk about why he's still there, and he'll talk about why it's important for us to continue to go to these hospitals and just get a check-in. I mean, these little things are small in theory, but it means a lot to just have us have these conversations and kind of normalize the health aspects of our society. Honestly, it was a great conversation, and I'm so grateful for Joseph. I'm so grateful for this podcast, and most of all, I'm grateful for you all. Joseph, welcome to the pod. Uh, Super excited to have you on. Uh, I've known you for what? Three, four years, five years, probably five-ish. Yeah, yeah, five years or so. Um, and I've always been impressed by you. Um, one of the, you know, movers and shakers in the medical field. It's very humble, but like, um, I remember just how young you are, and just the, the things that you're doing at these healthcare facilities is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, just to, just to kick it off, as we always do, you know, tell us about your upbringing and, uh, you know, your educational journey. I
1: appreciate y'all having
0: me. Um, So I'm the
1: youngest of three kids and my dad was in the army. Um, And so I call myself the accident child because there's a 10 year gap between me and my middle brother. And so um, I always joke with my parents that you all really didn't want to have me. I just popped up here and just said (laughs) surprise. Um, But, you know, I was born in Virginia um, and then I was um, we moved to Pensacola, Florida, which, which is where both my parents are actually from. Um, but it was towards my dad's end of his career, and we just ended up staying down there. Um, so I'm one of those Florida boys, um, <laughs> unfortunately, sometimes. But, Florida, uh, man. Florida, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do a lot of those crazy things that you see in the headlines. So don't so <laughs> <about good>. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so, yeah, stayed there throughout high school. Um, They ended up going to Alabama, to University of South Alabama for undergrad, um, which was a very interesting, but fun experience, too. And it actually went off to grad school at Texas State University, uh, which is in San Marcos, Texas, um, pretty much in between Austin and San Antonio. And from there, I I just went off and I've lived in Orlando, Chicago, and now I'm in um, Austin, Texas. So I moved around quite a bit. Um, so I got to see a lot and so that's been pretty, a pretty dope experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, take us back a bit. Like, tell us about like growing up in Pensacola, like, tell us about like your, you know, like elementary school, middle school, like your, those, those experience, I guess, growing up one of three kids, how was, how was that? Especially being an army kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: It was interesting. So like when we moved to Florida, when we first moved there, it was just me and my dad. Um, My mom and my two older brothers end up staying back in Virginia because my oldest brother was about to graduate from high school um, and they didn't want to like pull him out when he was about to graduate. So just moving down there was me and my dad, stayed with my grandma. Um, And so that was, you know, I bounced like each year, I think for a while, I went to a different elementary school (laughs) um, when when we first moved down there because I moved down there in like second or third grade and each year was a different um, elementary school. Um, So I think that's also where I've also been able to, like, be friendly and outgoing because I had to always continuously make new friends and meet new people. Um, And I I didn't, like, get pushed into, like, that awkward, quiet person anytime. So I was just like, it's going to be outgoing, talk to people um, and keep it moving. And so I think that has also helped me, like, going into my professional career, too, is being able to hold those conversations with people um so i'm like very appreciative of like my upbringing because like you never realize how much you carry on throughout your entire life and based on life experiences um but after elementary school middle school was stay at the same middle school and then transfer to high school um, my high school i went to was full of nothing but like military kids for real for real because based on zoning um so that was always. It was a hodgepodge of different ethnicities, backgrounds, people. So it was a, it was a good time. Um, but you know, it, it, I live right, like I said, right by right, the right military base. Um, our fun times, like people, like the kids who were military kids, would just go on base after school. Um, like there was like ice cream shops and random things. There was a beach down there too. There was a, a museum there. So. Um, you know just doing crazy like military kid stuff and so pensacola is also like the home of the blue angels i don't know if you mm. ever heard of them but like, yeah yeah. Um, yeah um and so like every tuesday and wednesday like they would practice every morning um and so like they would just be like you can watch that sometimes during the summer um, crazy loud a bit oh loud! very loud because like my house yeah. is right behind the base um, right. in pensacola and so anytime planes are coming in, like we're right in that flight path. So I just got used to hearing
0: airplane noises growing up. Was there any emphasis on you going to college? Like, was that like a seven stone thing or was it more like maybe you go to the Air Force, maybe you go to the Army or, well, I guess what were your options when thinking about college? You know, I think it was pretty much ingrained in my head
1: since a that like you're, you're going to college. Um, And it wasn't anything to where, like, I think about my grandma, Grandma Hobby on my dad's side. Um, She was an educator. She ran her own preschool um, back in Pensacola. So she was pretty, um, you know, well-known in that community because there were only so many Black-owned preschools in Pensacola, and she owned and operated one of them. And so, you know, coming from someone who was an educator um, and like, firmly believed in the power ed- education like I, I don't think it was ever an option for me because like uh, like i said earlier i stayed with her for a little while when we first moved to florida and so like she would help me with my homework and like <laughs> i think about this to this day it's like when like i'm writing she used to get on me for my penmanship and so like if it wasn't clear she was like you need to rewrite this and and so I get comments about my handwriting to this day. Like it's so neat and so clean. I was just like, well, thank my grandma because she was like a big strict, uh, a big, you know, I won't say she was pushy, but she was pretty strict about like making sure like you're, it's legible. So um, college was, yeah, I was always there. Um, it was interesting enough for the longest time, I actually wanted to be a pilot. Um, and so growing up, I could tell you any type of airplane, I could talk about any airline, any, anything. Um, and so, like, I was going to go to um, flight school, which is still, you know, I, my parents didn't like or my grandma didn't look at that as, like a bad thing, because I was still doing something, something cool and noble, I guess you can say, but um, it was pretty much, you, you need to have a plan after high school, <laughs> you're, you're going to do something regardless. Mm-hmm. Were they are you first generation or no, uh, I am. So my oldest brother actually was in college. He would have been the first to graduate in our family, mm-hmm. um, but he unfortunately passed away in 2013. So that actually is the 10 year um, anniversary of his passing in January. But um, he, he would have been the first one, but uh, he, he unfortunately passed away before he could you know, get his degree.
0: Wow. Yeah, I think I, I think we talked about this before. Cause you, as you know, January is a rough month for me, just like all the deaths that's going on. Um, yeah. And I think that's one thing that we connected on because I had not known. Like, and I guess it's something like, especially in our community, that you don't really talk about. It's kind of just like one of those things that, uh, you know, if it happens, if you talk about it, you talk about it. Um, but I guess was what was the? I don't I don't necessarily know if you want to talk about your brother, but. And I couldn't remember if it was connected to like why you wanted to get into healthcare, but um, yeah, like talk us, talk to us about I guess your interest in healthcare like once you were in college. Yeah, you know, he definitely played a role in like why I
1: stuck to healthcare for sure. So what actually made me change my mind from not wanting to be a pilot to going into the healthcare field? I ended up having surgery when I was in middle school. Um, I had something called Blunt's disease where my leg was extremely bow-leg and it was just one leg. It was my right leg. Um, so I ended up having surgery. Um, what I thought was going to be one and done wasn't, It, it followed by three additional surgeries, unfortunately. Um, and so just like the, the doctors that I had, um, I ended up having two different surgeons um, through about I think that four to five year period of having surgery. Um, and they were and just think about like the care team. I was just like, y'all are awesome. Like I want to be able to go into a profession and give back to someone else and help someone else out. Um, and so that's I was like, you know, you asked middle school or high school Joseph, I would be like, I want to be a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Um, and it was for that exact reason because I had a pediatric orthopedic surgeon that was so caring and like they took care of me. Um, And it was like I think that was really my first real interaction within healthcare. Like obviously, like I went to a doctor for like checkups and vaccines, but like um, it's different when you like you're going to a doctor's office like every other week and just like interacting with them so much, and um, for them to like actually take the time to like care about you as an individual. Um, And so that's where my journey into healthcare really started, and so I stuck to it. when I got to high, in the high school, when I got to college, that's when it kind of changed on what exactly I would do in healthcare. Um, you know, I, I always say physics and biochemistry humbled me real quick. know, um, I think it does for everybody. <laughs> Those are the ones. And so I was like, "Yep, no, like, what can I do?" And so, like, I've always been a leader, like in organizations, and so always involved in various different things, and so. It was just really stumbling across healthcare administration um and knowing that like i could still you know really give back and like have that impact on someone's else's life it may not be direct patient care but it's you know organizationally it's structurally from an administration standpoint making sure like how are things operating are things running smoothly like are you able to get into see your doctor in a timely manner to get the care that you need um, and so to me, like that's really rewarding to still be able to impact someone else's life, um, even though I may not be delivering that care. And so that's something definitely, once my brother passed away, I was just like, you know, I want to continue to, you know, honor him and making sure that, you know, his experience in healthcare too, um, when he maybe did or did not really fully take full advantage of the healthcare system, um, is it's like, how can I? you know, take that experience and implement different things within a health system and making sure other people have the opportunity and they don't go through what my brother and my, well, my family went through with his passing.
0: Yeah, no, I think um, kind of the same, like, like, you know, about my brother and like, that's kind of what drove me to law. Um, just, just like I didn't enjoy, or I didn't, I didn't like the feeling of feeling powerless, you know, not like not having like someone to advocate for our family. And things like that um like if, if you if you want to could you just tell us like what happened with your brother like you know what i guess as far as healthcare like what kind of drove you like i have to do this now i have to honor him this way you don't have to get into the details per se but just like talk about things that you noticed that you felt like you could have you know been better suited if you had this degree or you were in this or there was like a uh, a healthcare administrator that just like you at that time yeah yeah i think to the first part of like
1: dealing with my brother and i I don't think i've done a good job of going to the doctor and taking care of ourselves like we don't go until the very last minute um and so sometimes like that can be you know detrimental to us really and so what like figuring out what that stigma is and just like why do we I think you know why do we have so much pride to where we can't go see our primary care physician every you know at least annually if you know suddenly you're healthy like like why can't we not do that and figuring out you know what's going on in, that, in our community and like, let you know it, it's okay to go to a doctor you're not any less of a man because you go to get your annual checkup um you know, if anything that helps you to continue to provide for your family, to continue to, you know, be a provider. And so uh, I think it is really looking at, you know, looking at that um, within our community and, you know, you know, partnering with various organizations and, uh, you know, talking to the, like, you know, getting in front of people, whether it's the church or whether it's, like, different fraternities. And, you know, just, like, saying, hey, like, you know, it, it's okay to get your checkup. It's okay. Like, you, you have to be there to take care of yourself and support yourself. So, um, you know, I think that's still something to be figured out. And, you know, it's still an uphill battle in some areas, but um, just continue to work to making sure that, you know, the access to care for Black men, especially, um, is there and accessible.
0: Just to, you know, go back into the profession, tell us about your current role and, like, what your day to day is like. Like, because I know you work with doctors a lot, um, but I don't necessarily know like what exactly you're doing. So, talk to us through that. Yeah.
1: So, currently, I'm a director of operations, and so I oversee all of our not all of our clinics. I oversee our primary care and express care clinics um, within the Austin market, Um, and so. I'm gonna say cities, but you're not gonna know. So uh, it's from the area of Round Rock down to San Marco. So it's a, it's about, it's probably about 70 miles of interstate that I'm responsible for and clinics throughout the area. Um, and so this really handling the day to day. Um, you know, I kind of think about my, like my job in like different buckets. So, you know, we've been talking about finances So, like finance is a piece of it. It's like, are we getting paid? Are the providers, you know, dropping their claims? Like when they see a patient, are they closing their notes? Are we sending that to the insurance company so we can get money back? And so, um, you know, are we collecting our co-pays or deductibles from our patients? And so there's different things like that within finance. You know, are we contracted right um, with our with our insurance companies? You know, um, are our expenses in line? Like, right, am I paying? Buku amounts of money for contract labor, and and can I just hire someone? So, finance is a piece of that. Looking at quality and safety. So, quality is making sure that you know, you know, all of our regulatory things are taken care of. So, you look at like when you come into your your doctor's office to get blood work or get a vaccine. Like, um, are we following protocols? Is everything up to date? Have we? you know, did quality insurance from all the, te- the point-of-care testing machines, like looking at that patient safety, like our, is our clinics free of any type of hazards for our patients? Do, do the staff know what to do in any type of emergency situation? So looking at things in that regard. Um, and, you know, another bucket is really focusing on engagement. So I look at engagement, of, like engagement with our physicians, engagement with staff, Um, And also engagement with patients and making sure that, you know, everyone, obviously you can't please everyone, but making sure that, you know, things are in place and making sure that everything's adequate and not so different when you walk into any of our, uh, um, any of our clinics. Um, And there's also like a piece of growth aspect for my job. And so now that I'm more in this director role, it's really focusing, like, okay, what's the strategy? What's coming? next fiscal year like i've already given the vision to my team of what we need to focus on this year and i'm helping them with that while i'm also in the future of like okay this is where i think we'll be in the next fiscal year what do i what do we need to start working on um kind of looking at what are what are our external factors what 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 are competitors doing in the market you know are they about to open up a clinic right down the street from us if so like how are we going to um, react to that and so that that's really a piece of my role now um, and then really you know interacting with stakeholders and so um, partnering with all of our hospital leaders and you know making sure that um, they're aware of you know what's connected um, clinic-wise to their hospitals and so I don't know if you all know this but clinics really feed hospitals and so um, you know, oftentimes, like assuming someone doesn't start off or start out in the emergency room, like when they get into the hospital, eight, nine times out of ten they probably came from one of our clinics because they saw one of our providers. Um, they may need a surgery, and so they're going to feed into the hospital to have their surgery, and they're going to come back to the clinics. And so, um, a lot of interaction with those hospital leaders and, stakeholders, and various and community stakeholders too. Um, because, you know, looking at, you know, I may, I may open up a new clinic in a certain area. Okay. Does that area have like a neighborhood chamber of commerce? Like, do they have a festival or something that, you know, I can get my doctor who's new, um, out there and be introduced to the community. So, um, a lot of different pieces with that, um, of course, being in operations comes fires. So there's always, (laughs) always daily fires that come up, um, that I'm involved in um when when needed Um, you know this is really hopefully it doesn't get that severe um but just being able to also um support and coach and mentor um my team of managers um making sure that they have all the resources resources that they need to making sure that their clinics are being taken care of at a local level um and that they're able to succeed and continue to grow their career as well
2: no, that that makes sense. So, you know, in preparing for this episode, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you talk about uh, being passionate about driving, uh, you know, uh, health care outcomes. And I guess I'm wondering what exactly are those health outcomes that you're kind of prioritizing at this point in time?
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know looking at a lot of our quality metrics and measures you know what like making sure people are able to you know get their, their their colonoscopies you know looking at you know mammograms you know have you had your a1c checked recently and so just looking at those various different things of those quality metrics and what we're doing and how can we making sure when you have access and two that you're getting it done uh, and so those are like really the you know, the healthcare outcomes that I really address and I talk about in that, in that aspect, um, you know, it was actually being, in, it was interesting being a manager during COVID because uh, just being able to respond to it and for a while, like things were changing every second, every minute. There was always something new. Um, so for like a while, I feel like I was working like every day for like a whole month that like we were trying to navigate the waters because, um, I was in Chicago when COVID hit. And so I had the opportunity like to, um, to operate one of our testing centers. Then we did, did a vaccine clinic. And so figuring out how do we continue to make sure patients are taken care of, like I think about healthcare outcomes in that sense too, it's like. Um, how, how am I still ensuring that the patients that my providers see are still able to see their doctor and so that they're getting their, their best possible care that they need? Uh,
2: one thing that comes to my mind is I think all three of us would agree um, that everyone sort of should have the right to quality health care, uh, but that's not always the case, right? And so I guess why do you think that is, just based on what you've learned along the way so far? Yeah, the,
1: that, that can be a really deep and loaded uh, uh, question there, but um, healthcare really is a, a, a basic right and need for any human. Like, how can we really be full functioning citizens in, in the world if we're not um, healthy and being able to get the care that we need? Um, and so I will say, you know, I think that's. Something that I've, I've seen and I think we really need to work on, you know, I think looking at, you know, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare took a stab at that um, and making sure that everyone had like, insurance to go get the care that they want. Um, but I, it's been so politicized and I just don't understand why, because... Um, you know, I think I understand why, but like, it's just crazy, but I just, I just don't know, you know, we need to take care of ourselves. Like we can't, we just, um, like you know, healthcare to me is just like being able to have a meal on your table every day. Like if you get sick, you need to go to your doctor and get the care that you need. Um, and so, I, you know, I think just seeing how, you know, having to deal with insurance companies can be a pain in the, in the rear end too, just because all the hoops and hierarchies that you know they, they continue to get richer. Um, I think about what happened during COVID. Um, you know, this answers the question, but it kind of goes off on a tangent too, just because as health systems, like we've been losing money this past fiscal year. Like we I think hospitals and health systems across America, Have had like the worst (laughs) fiscal year they like ever had, but if you look at like health 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 insurance companies, they've been profitable. Like they've had a lot of income, Um, but that's really because you think about during COVID, we were paying premiums for our insurance, but was anybody getting care really at that point? And so all that money that was being paid into them, um, they just sat on, and so. that's is really, I think, one of our biggest opportunities and um, impacts to healthcare um, is working with insurance companies and that whole hoopla we have to go through to get, you know, things approved and um, you know things paid for. Like it's crazy that you know medication like for diabetes or asthma you know cost people so much money like and and so like my mom has multiple sclerosis and so there's certain medications that she needs and like certain medications she won't take because the price of the drug um it's crazy that like one pill can cost and when i say one pill really one pill can cost someone a thousand dollars so just think about like a 30-day supply like you're looking at thirty thousand dollars for you know a bottle um insane It's insane. So, like, I think about, like, our pharmaceutical companies, like, they play a role in that, too. It's just, like, 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 why do we have to charge so much for um, these services? Um, You know, I get that we do, like, looking at it from an administration standpoint, when you think about the hospitals, like, yeah, we do have to charge to keep the doors open to pay the staff. Yes, I get that. Um, But also, like, to the same point, I think there's there's some price gouging at some point. Um, and, I, and I think that's something that's really rampant throughout healthcare is you know a level of um, charging over overly more than something should be charged. And so um, that, I think those are just kind of like the, the biggest like the biggest things I, I've really seen and had to deal with um, in healthcare is you know looking at you know those insurance companies, pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies, and how much they charge us to you know give care to patients. There is obviously some type of price and revenue that, you know, hospitals and health systems have to collect in order to keep the doors open, um, you know, to continue to provide a service. But, um, you know, people get caught up in like, Oh, it's all numbers. like you don't care about the people. You don't care about the providers. And, you know, I have to like push back on that and actually, um, I was actually having a conversation about that the other day too, with one of my physicians. Um, but you know, I think it's to the standpoint like if you really look at you know people deem healthcare administrators as sometimes it's like anti-patient. You know, all we care about is the money, and I would say that's not the case because if you really talk to a lot of the healthcare administrators, like the CEOs, COOs, managers, whoever they go into it because they still want to help people, you know, so much of what I told you all, like why I'm in healthcare, and just being able to help other people in a different light. And so like, you cannot, you know, blanket a statement across the board that, um, that we don't care about the patient or the, the, you know, the service that you're providing to the patient. That's not the case at all. Um, You know, we just have to make sure that, you know, you know, How are we bringing in money? How can we continue to you know, you want like physicians want a fancy new equipment or technology, that costs money, and so, um, you know, you know, just looking at how do we continue to you know remain profitable and making sure that we um, are able to keep the quality, the safety up for the patients and provide them that care, Um, you know, and so I was having this conversation is just like, yeah, I want you to see more, let's figure out our process, let's clean up our workflows. So it does allow you to see more patients, not because I want you to work harder, but it's because I when someone calls their their physician, they want to be seen for an issue, like we should not be telling them like their first available appointments in three or four months down the road. because um, by then who knows what can happen. And so my eyes and how I approach these things is like, yeah, I may like want to change these workflows and like make and make some improvements. It's not because I want you to see more patients to get like burn you out or make you work more, or get more money in. It's really to do service to our patients and our population because um, also like, if you're a good provider, like if you tell someone four months to see you, nine times out of 10, they are gonna go find someone else to see. Um, and then you're going to lose that patient altogether. And which is going to be interesting also as we go, like, move into the, I won't say future because it's here now, but healthcare moving forward as like really our generation, you know, moves into the work, the workforce, moves into more like needing healthcare more and, um, you know, the baby boomers really, you know, die off really because, you know, they were the ones who, oh, I'm going to go to my doctor every three months, every six months, you know you look at us we'll go for an annual we won't go to a doctor or anything like we may not even have a pcp some people they may go to a dedicated urgent care like oh i got the sniffles, my throat hurt, or something i'm gonna go to this urgent care um so they they don't have a dedicated provider and so it's just like how are we remaining competitive in like the environment that we have now um because like amazon starting their own healthcare service so like for like any, you can pick up your phone and you can talk to the doctor at any point and so that's going to be a lot more convenient so like you think of especially like the generation after us where they know nothing but a cell phone um and so it's going to be like they're not going to want to come into your clinic um to get service and so i think you know that's also where a lot of mindset is and so where sometimes people can get like oh you're operating like a business And it's like well if we want to keep our doors open you have to think about like amazon who truly is a business and how they're operating it's like we got to be able to compete with you know the amazon cvs is starting to do a lot more of like hands-on patient care um, even walmart i don't know if you all heard about that but walmart is starting to open up clinics in certain areas and so um this being how do we compete with that because your brick and mortar you know hot hospitals and clinics um may not be the solution going forward
2: what role do you think the racial wealth gap uh plays sort of in uh in healthcare?
1: <laughs> uh it, it, it plays a big part of it if you really think about it because you, you know it, it really you think about you know i'll start here and we can go expand from there because you think about insurance right and I don't, I don't think a lot of people, you know, fully understand their insurance plans sometimes either because, you know, um, the more wealthy people, they have, you know, that better insurance plan with all the bells and whistles, a lower deductible that, you know, they have a um, their insurance to cover more. But then you kind of look at some of those people who are like on the Medicaid or um, maybe some of those lower tier health plans. Um, they may not always cover everything. And so they may be coming out of pocket on different things. So that definitely does play a role into, um, you know, the care that people can can receive. And you really look at sometimes where your clinics or hospitals are located, um, are they, you know, in an area that's like predominantly minority group that may be run down a little bit or all your hospitals and clinics are always going to be in, like, a middle class to, you know, middle class and up area. Um, and so I think that access to care is also a biggest thing because, you know, people don't want to travel um, a lot. Like, they don't want to travel far um, to get the service that they need. Uh, you know, it's actually interesting because now that I'm in Austin, um, there's I-35 pretty much splits the city um you know east and west um and certain people if they live on the west side they do not want to go to the east side and vice versa and i think that's really anywhere you know you know uh, you know telling like living in chicago if someone um, is living maybe i mean high park would be a bad example because you chicago's there but maybe like we look at like Kenwood or something like that uh and like where is the closest access to a clinic or hospital like they don't have to travel to like rush um, on the west side or go go up to, you know, uh, Northwestern downtown. And so there's like, I'm not gonna be bothered with it. And so that definitely plays a role of making sure the access is there. Um, and looking at something called like social determinants of health too. I don't know if you ever heard that term, but is this really like looking at, um, you know, food deserts are like one of the biggest things I can think of a part of that um, is because you look at the lower, the lower tier communities, like where they may not always be so financially um, there, like you don't see a lot of like you won't see a Mariano's or Whole Foods in those neighborhoods. You're going to see a corner store. You're going to see a whole bunch of McDonald's and random other fast food spots. Um, compared to when you may go to somewhere that's a little more, um, you know, middle class or you know, a different tier income bracket, you're going to have those. Fresh food options you're gonna have, um, you know, grocery stores. You know, anywhere you turn, so that definitely plays a role um, into the income gap as well.
0: One one reason that I remember not going to hospitals was in part because of um, it's in part because ignorance is bliss at times, right? Like anytime I went to the hospital, it was always for something bad, right? Like you come in you're fine. At least this is in my mind, right? You go in, you're fine. Then you come out, you got this like debilitating disease walking out or something like that. Like you got like three months to live, something, something that's how my mind, I mean, maybe that's anxiety, right? Well, it is anxiety. Um, just because every time I'm going, you like, you know, somebody was dying or what have you. I guess, what is your argument against, you know, the idea that ignorance is bliss, especially in our community, especially as a black men.
1: You know, I think about. I look at it, like if you go get your annual checkups, you won't be coming out with those um, diagnoses, or you feel like you're, you only got like a severe illness. But no, I think it's just you, you don't know until you go. Like we we have a lot of, I don't say we have a lot, but like there there are like comorbidities. Like there's genetics that plays a role into various different things too. And so, like sometimes it's like if you don't go to get things checked out, you would never know because who knows what your grandma or your dad or whoever down the line somewhere, you may have, a, you know, something your genetics that, you know, can carry on to you. And so, um, you know, you, you, you know, you don't know until you, to, you know, really. And so you have to be open to figuring out and learning and, um, just know and, and to find that right provider too, right? Because you know, you know some providers are better than the others. Take that for what it is. But like you just have to go find someone who you can connect with. And so I think that's also why diversity in medicine is very important too. Um, because you know looking at you know us as African Americans, there's a lot of things that you know, diseases and things that impact us differently than um, some of our white counterparts or Hispanic people because just, right, things have evolved. And so um, just being able to be partners with your provider and, and, and be open and honest, like ask questions, like also don't hide anything from your provider. Um, I think like we always want to get into like when we do go to the doctor, whether we tend not to want to say things fully. Um, or want to be as yes, transparent with them. It's like I'm 100 percent confident that most of your providers are there to help you and want to support you, and they can't do that if you're telling them half the story, uh, and they can't properly diagnose you. And so, um, and that that goes into it. It's like, um, yeah, I may tell you one thing, and but there's really like two other things going on, but I'm not taking those two other things, and so. I'm going to lead to, uh, I'm not, but the provider is going to lead to misdiagnosing you on what's really going on, and so they could start treating you for something that's not really the cause. And so um, that's that's why I said it's really important to just have like that provider you can connect with that understands you, Um, but then also we do need to diversify uh, medicine, too, because we're going to click more with people who look like like well, us, right? I mean, it's, it's just how it works and how it happens. And so, um, just being able to have that person, you can um, connect with.
2: What are uh, you know? You alluded to uh, there are good providers and bad providers. What are some of the traits uh, that people should be on the lookout for in terms of a good provider?
1: Yeah, I definitely think you want a provider that you know is willing to. Allow you to talk, really. You know, sometimes we get into rooms where you've had providers who are just like, "I think this is this, I think this is that," um, and not really allowing you to ask questions or allowing you to understand um, what's really going on. Um, and so, if the, you know, taking the time to, if you get diagnosed like with diabetes, right? Let's just use that for example. You may not know what diabetes is and how it really impacts you, and like what your course of treatment will be. You know, I think a bad provider is someone's like they they look at your blood work and it's like, oh, you have diabetes, take this medication, um, see me in three months, and they're out the room. Um, you're just like, what? Like, where, where? Like, where is the help there? And so it's just like, I think you, when you have a good provider, it's you know, one like that. You know, di- Like, yes, there's medication for diabetes. There one's diabetes, but if you have a provider who's going to sit there and take the time to help you understand what it is, how you can overcome it, what you need to do and educate you on like, you know, how's your body going to react, like what's going on. Um, I think that's like, you know, those green flags, you know, just looking at a provider who's not going to be in and out the room, anyone who's going to like help you be part of the decision-making process. You know, they come with their recommendation, but they may ask you like, what do you think is best, Like, like, can you handle this medication that you always have to eat food with, you know, you know, certain medications like at breakfast, um, but what if I don't eat breakfast, but you just prescribed it to me without even like getting to know my traits, you know, my habits. And so, um, having those providers that are willing to sit down and talk with you, listen to you, um, and include you in, in, in that process of moving forward.
2: How do, how do hospitals make money? <laughs>
1: yeah so hospitals make money really so there's 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 a fee for everything really that you can think of when you come to hospital or clinic so when you you know when you go to surgery when you go when you are in the ER like there's different there's there's any type of um, medication so you know there's a charge attached to all that right Um, and so just being that's where the insurance comes in we charge the insurance um, but depending on, you know, certain hospitals or health systems contract, there's only a contractual limit that, you know, we can charge. Um, and so they will reimburse us for that. And also that sometimes, um, there may be a piece of it that falls to the, the patient. So there's like, you all have deductible and coinsurance. And so, um, that's where someone may not always fully understand because. I received plenty of phone upset phone calls from patients of like, my insurance should have paid for this. Why, why do I have to pay for it? And so um, that, that, that's, um, this, once again, knowing your insurance plan is key, and a lot of people don't. You know, looking at your insurance plan, they, there are certain levels that things will be covered. So you think about, okay, if I go to the ER, I know I'm automatically gonna have a copay of $100, um, just because that's what my, Plan deems me. And so you go in there, you know, depending on whether or not um, a lot of the ED emergency room physicians have started to become uh, contracted out. So they're usually, con- they may not be employed at the hospital. So maybe another healthcare group. So you may get charged from that group if they're not employed. Um, and then you may get charged from the hospital for any type of medical equipment. And so for, you know, your visit itself um you will get charged for it so if you get a shot there's gonna be a charge for that shot um and then there's also you know the, you know each visit has diff- a different level of service um, and so it can go from like a you know like a level one which is the basic of a basic to a level five which is very high acuity um and so each level of acuity has a different price point attached to it and so obviously the lower the queue is cheaper but the higher acuity the more expensive it can be so it just kind of depends on how that falls within that price that that range too Um, and so that's really how hospitals make money there are also a lot of nonprofit health systems and hospitals too and so um there's foundations for any and everything you can think of so just having donors um, donate to the organization and and get revenue in that way as well
0: you know as you were talking one thing i thought about is how like you hear these stories of like someone, I don't know, got shot or something, something they're they're going through something medically that they need immediate attention. And they're like, I'm not calling an ambulance because of the cost. And I think that a big part of it is just that a lot of times uh, the cost is so high and so uh, astronomical that it's almost like you're gambling with your own life, right? Like you're gambling, like, okay, I can, I I got 20 minutes or whatever to to get to the hospital. I guess, what are some things that you see the medical field improving on? Like, is there a way that, and and maybe this is just my ignorance and not knowing like the regulatory part of it, right? Like knowing like if you transport someone to a hospital, like what is needed and things like that, what do you think are some some ways uh, we can improve things like that. I can't say that I have the, the golden answer for this question,
1: but you know, I think that that really is an opportunity for us to improve upon. Um, because the, you know, price should not be a reason why someone decides not to go to the emergency room or go to the doctor. And so you, I think it's just taking a look at, you know, and you know, that's really those speaking for ambulance, that's more so of a private company or the local city, depending on where you are um and so it's like how can we partner as the health system and working with the community or whoever that private ambulance company is of you know let's and insurance too because some insurances don't pay for ambulances outright for the reason um of like where do we have the opportunity to come to the table and do what's right for our, for our people our population um and not charge them or feel like they're going to get nickel and dime and so um and i think it's also um uh, maybe not so widely known that a lot of like a lot of if you if you are in a certain financial class there's a lot of financial assistance that you can get from a hospital and a lot of people may not know that um, and so and in it and, it and it varies by hospital and health system um, and it depends on how much you make and, and all those things but um, I think that's uh, another opportunity for people to not be so scared or freaked out if you, you know, go, because there are assistance out there for you, especially nonprofits, like they really required to have and give a certain amount of charity care per year. Um, and so, um, and, but not, not everyone knows that. And so, but I think it's just, you know, making sure people are comfortable enough to go get the care that they need and not be freaked out by the cost because, you know, definitely that's something that needs to be tackled. But um, if how do we come to the table to reduce the cost of health care for sure? Um, but that that is definitely something
2: above my pay grade and more powerful than me to do. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a leader, as a manager of, of physicians, like, and also being a black man, a young black man, Just talk about just talk about that, right? Like that dynamic and and what you've learned along the way. Yeah.
1: You know, sometimes I think that's like two factors against me. Right. And so coming into. I I even use example now, like I'm the youngest director of all my peers. Um, And so while everyone else is probably I think the next closest youngest one to me is probably thirty nine, and I'm thirty. Um, and so, coming into a room where I'm the youngest one, and I'm the only Black person um, in in that group in that senior leadership core. And so, just being able to, um, you know, there's always a sense of yourself unfortunately sometimes like you know we always have to step into this like uh, and it's like showing people that like i am qualified to do this job obviously i am because i got the job but like you know the a lot of the peers were not in all my interviews they may not know my resume they don't see my uh, my day-to-day operations um because obviously they have their own niche and people to work with but um you know, I think there, there's a sense of that. You know, coming into any organization, um, and and so I'm just going to pause here real quick. So if anyone from my company listens to this, I haven't you know fully. You know, they've been great group to work with, and so I'm not saying anything is wrong with them per se. But you know, there's always that sense of you you know. Um you know, coming in and making sure that you are on this, you know, I don't say the same level, but you're able to be a good contributor to the team and that you're able to, you know, you know really show that you, you know what you need to know. Um, but, you know, I think that has really played a role into like my entire career. And then working with physicians, you know, who, you know, have worked. Well, I, and I'm pretty sure I've been the first black boss a lot of people have had too. Um, And so just working, you know, in areas, too, that are, you know, predominantly white Um, and I say areas in like cities and neighborhoods where it's like they don't see, to me, of us and then to see us in that level. Um, There's sometimes a shock to them, but, you know, just working with them is like, you know, I'm here to be a partner with you. Um, I'm here to help you. Um, I think that's what has really, like, helped me. Um, Bym too it's like I'm not coming in here to tell you like I know everything or or to act like I'm any less or I'm not as good as you because um, that's you know not the case but we're going to work together we're going to figure things out you know there're gonna be things that I help you with there's gonna be things you help me with and so um, I think just being able to build that you know relationship and bond with people across the board whether it's other physicians the other managers or any type of staff, um, in this over time; like it's not something that's going to happen overnight at all. But you know, each, you you know, you chip away at it day by day.
2: Prior to our conversation, if I would have said somebody worked at the hospital or the outpatient clinic, I kind of would have just been thinking about doctors or nurses. And so, like, it's it's kind of cool to see that there is another path that can be uh, rewarding, especially uh, in healthcare administration. Uh, so, I guess I'm wondering. That's a long way of saying, how would you sell? 16 year old Joseph, or some six, some sophomore in high school, uh, on a career in healthcare administration. Yeah, you know, I
1: think it's just being able to, once again, I think I would definitely make it a point to like you have to be w- willing and wanting to help someone live a better life. I think that's where it all starts, you know. Um, this isn't a, a typical business, right? And so it's just like you're you're in it. Ultimately, to help someone, and so if you have a passion to continue to help enrich someone's life and put different skills to the test that may not involve, you know, hands-on patient care, um, but then being able to be innovative, I think that's the fun part about the job too. Is it's like you can
2: play around with
1: different things. You know, I think that's the beauty of um, of everything. It may not work, but least like you could say you you try to be innovative and figuring out more efficient and effective ways of doing things because um like i said healthcare is changing and so what was done 20 years ago really shoot even like five years ago may it may not work um tomorrow or in the future so it's like you know it's really an opportunity to to give back help someone live a better life you get to be innovative Um, but then also and then you also have the opportunity to really um, develop and, you know, coach people from a, uh, leadership standpoint. Um, so just being able to put different soft skills to the test and, you know, um, being able to be in different spaces, but even with people outside of different industries too, cause I talk about, you know, different stakeholders and working in the community. Uh, You know, I was at a a luncheon with the mayor a couple weeks ago. And so just being able to, you know, I met the former White House press secretary at different events too. And so it's like, um, you can still have an impact, still be in different spaces, different worlds,
0: um, as a healthcare administrator
1: and have that positive impact.
0: What are, uh, I guess, your top three misconceptions about healthcare? I think the biggest one we already kind of touched on is that healthcare is just
1: a business, right? Um, I think that's one of the biggest ones that I think is out there. Um, another one is, you know, we look at our, we call them APP, which are advanced practice providers. And so under the umbrella are nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Um, I think a misconception there is like people tend not to want to see those providers because they're not—they don't have that MD title, right? They're not a doctor, um, and so I think that's another misconception within healthcare. But like really, they—they they know their stuff. They've been trained just as much as some of those physicians, and so obviously, yeah, some more. You're chronically, you know and more high, higher acuity things you would go to a physician for but you know you can definitely still go see a, a nurse practitioner a physician assistant and still get the same level of care um you know sometimes it's not even better care because like you can 9 out of the 10 you can get in to see see app sooner than you can't get a physician um but best believe like that provider that app is going to go back to that physician and look at your chart and talk about it and look at the the correct course of treatment. Um, So I definitely think that's another big misconception within healthcare, um, that some of those advanced practice providers are not um, as good or adequate um, in some people's minds, just because they don't have that MD
0: title. So what pushes you to to succeed in your current role? Like what, I guess, what do you draw back on? And just, it brings you passion and it makes you wake up every day and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, you know, I think that's,
1: that's a couple of things I, I can still, I, I, I still hear like my parents and my grandmother and my brother pushing me and motivating me every step of the way. But, you know, something I hinted, I hinted on earlier, it's different, like now I'm in this director role, Like I've, I'm becoming a mentor to other people. Um, And so I think that's just, you know, something that continues to empower me to like, making sure that I wake up, find value in each day and making sure I'm adding value to different things because someone's looking at me now. And so it's just like, you know, I want to continue to be um, a positive example and show someone like, you you can be where I am, you can succeed me far, you know, way better than me too. Um, like anytime someone tells me I'm trying to get like you, I was like, no, be better than me because like <laughs> that's the thing is it's just like if I'm going to help you, I want you to learn from my mistakes and what I did, so that you're a couple steps further than me where um, were, when I was in your shoes at that point in time. So um, you know, I think that that has been something that has been motivating, pushing me, just like okay, you know, like. The, the tables are turning like obviously I still have my mentors my go-to but then also like I'm um, reaching back and being able to pour into someone else and making sure that like that they are uh, being supported in the, in the right way and learning from my you know my my area my mistake um and like I think it once again it's still just the job is not done of you know just because I'm at this director level role that like I'm still not I've given up all hope on you know wanting to make an impact on healthcare or, or who I help, and so it's like I'm going to continue to take that charge of you know what. Once again, what can I do to make someone's life better, um, and continue to take it take it to the next level, take it to the next notch, and so um, when hopefully I reach that 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 top level of the hierarchy, there it's just like I can continue to. I'm more in a position to really shape what that is and how to really, you know, break down. There's like generational curses in healthcare too, if you think about it. It's just like breaking down those old silos, those old ways of doing things that aren't really helping people. Um, But it's been the status quo just because it helps a subset of people instead of the whole population.
0: What is some advice you would give to your younger self? yeah uh,
1: be patient be humble um, but then also don't pour from an empty cup um, so just continuing to invest in me in yourself, and you know, making sure that you know um, Joseph is taken care of before trying to do other various things and helping other people because um, you know, if my cup is empty, I can only give you so much. And so, what value, what benefit am I truly bringing or giving? Giving at that point.
0: I know earlier you talked about like you know your faith and things like that. And just talk about like how important faith is in 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 your day to day. Because I know like I mean, we'll go out right, and you'll you be out to like two, and you'll be up at eight for church. You know, like every like going to church no matter what. So talk about how important like your faith is yeah uh you, you know like i said growing up in in the
1: household with a dad who's a deacon um and a mom who was very involved with, at, at church and so every sunday we were at church both services eight o'clock and ten forty five, and sunday school so like sundays was nothing but church for me and so obviously like growing up like that's all not all i knew but like it was ingrained to like on Sundays you're going to church. And like, even when I got older and started driving in high school and when I started going out, um, my parents were like, if you go out, you can still wake up and go to church. Um, and so I think that has like always stuck with me and it's like also life experiences, right? And so, um, you know, life happens once I graduated, you know, college and grad school, you know, just working, you know, um, There was a moment I will say in full transparency, I got full of myself. I was just like, you know, I kind of was like straying away from God a little bit. Like I wasn't going to church as often. I wasn't praying. Um, And I definitely felt that impact in my life. And so it was just like, it was just, it was like, I I had to refocus and recenter. It was like, um, it was like, God was like, you think you can do better without me? I'm going to show you. Um, And so it was just like, Okay, I hear you. So it's like just being able to like recenter and refocus, and so um, you know, and, and life is hard, right? And so it's like having that belief and, and that faith, and it's being able to um, know that you know everything is going to work out for your good, and it's asking for God's peace to come into and come into my life, really. Um, has really been something that you know has been beneficial to me and something that I cher- cherish dearly because I-, I know for a fact I would not be here without, you know, without God doing what he does. And so um, it- it's something that's very important to me, something I hold dearly. And and, and yeah, I, I will. <laughs> I will go out the night before, but best believe um, I'm going to go to church. I may be a couple minutes late, but I'm going to go to church. And so. Um and just making sure like I'm giving him his
0: honor and his glory as well.